Blue Wire. To the end zone he goes. Where Sammy is. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Taj. Hopkins throws to Boyd. Lean means touchdown throwing machine tonight, and he's got another one. Boyd. Welcome back to the Taj Boy Podcast. Look, I'm just excited that you decided to hit that play button because you guys are in for a treat with this next guest. Now, Daniel Rodriguez is a former teammate of mine from Clemson University. He has went on to accomplish some amazing feats. He's a decorated war hero, namely a Purple Heart recipient, a former professional football player, a published author, speaker, an actor, and just a serial entrepreneur. We just had an amazing conversation and I can't wait for you to hear. I hope you take something from it because there are some real gems in here. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and tell your friends about the Taj Boyd podcast. Here we go. All right, recording. All right, so I got Daniel Rodriguez here with me, former teammate of mine, man, just an honorable human being. Um, Daniel, what's going on, my man? Not a whole lot, man. You didn't mention Taj, also a fellow Virginian. So, a fellow Virginia. You yeah. know, it's funny, man. I was just talking to somebody today, um, and it was like, "Hey, who was the last pass you completed? Uh, <laughs> who was the last pass you completed a, a pass to? You know, in uh, in the valley." And I was like, "It's actually Daniel Rodriguez, man." Yeah. So, D Rod, you know, I'm just glad to have you on the show, man. My life has been well. I know Tim Bray already knows that it was for a two two yard loss, but it was a missed block. <laughs> You know, we won't get into the details of the statistics, but completions and completion the way I see it. Yeah, but you got an end zone, though. You feel of me? Course, so. Of course. The movie can't be made without that. Comes and knows what it was doing. Yeah, hard work pays off, bro. <laughs> no, it was an amazing, bro. We had a good time, dude. I, you remember when I first, before I even committed, we were doing like off season or summer workouts, and I would just show up at 5 a.m., but I couldn't work out, and I would like run wind sprints on the side of the fields with you guys. And then it was like raining one day and you got, and, you're, and you were like, Hey, 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 Purple Heart. <laughs> Come here, break it down with us. And I just had this moment. I was like, Oh my gosh, I have a family. That's so funny, man. No, I remember all of that. And it was hard not to, man. I mean, you yeah, definitely man. left your mark on all of us when you showed up and, and obviously during your duration at Clemson and, and right now after. So it's been pretty special. Uh, let's go back to the beginning here a little bit though. Cause I mean, obviously you have an interesting story and, um, can't wait for the people to to know what I know about you. But, you know, you grew up in Virginia. What part of Virginia did you grow up in? I was born and raised in, well, I was grew up in Stafford, Virginia. My father is uh, the athletic director at Quantico. So I, I was actually born in Potomac Hospital, north northern Virginia, and then grew up uh, in Stafford about, you know, another 10 miles south of that. So I was there too. you know, that's all I knew. I was born, like I said, Potomac Hospital, grew up all in Virginia until uh, – 18 until I graduated high school and joined the army. And, you know, obviously you played football with us, but did you play other sports growing up? Oh, Um, was was it always football? Oh man, I played a ton, bro. Like I said, my dad was the athletic director at Quantico. So I I would literally get dropped off after school on base and I had full reign until my dad would get off work. So I, I was involved with every single sports organization with the base kids, even though my dad wasn't a Marine. I mean, I was in all the soccer programs, wrestling, swimming, everything, you name it. So I, I literally was a gym rat. Um, so very early on, my father associated me with sports more than anything else. So, yeah, I, I played baseball, soccer, uh, football, obviously. Basketball was a state championship in AU, like four times from you, like, Seven basketball, you yeah, like so. he's over there. You're stepping through the lane, huh? Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> I remember, bro. I'll take a pause in number two podcast. The, the fan base needs to know. You tell me your story that your dad shows up to your JV high school game or whatever, and you yeah. fouled out in like two minutes or something like that, and he made you turn your jersey back in <laughs> with the team. <laughs> 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 Football. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, most people. Don't know the, the Taj Boyd basketball story. And you got to realize, obviously, where I grew up at in the Hampton Roads area, that it was, you know, you were supposed to be good at, at every sport. Bro, and did. I just was not, you know. So we got all of these guys, Tyrod Taylor, Taylor's yeah. All-State, EJ Manuel's All-State. Mike right. Vick was a solid basketball player. Obviously, we got, you know, Ronald yeah. Curry and Allen Iverson and Marcus yeah, Higgins. Yeah. And I can't even use the left hand. So, <laughs> you know, the, the coach from JV is like, hey, man, we need a big man down low. 
And I know you haven't tried out, but just come out for the game and we'll get everything set up for you and be ready can we, to go. I mean, can, we, can we backtrack on that fact and just can we state for the audience why were you deemed the big man? What what was this stature? Was this weight? What, why were you the big man? Were you big yeah, man? you know, I've always been a linebacker, safety <laughs> at heart, you know. Okay. And uh, and obviously hey, you know this because I used to have to cut so much weight before the season started for the big weigh-in. So. You, for sure. You have def- you definitely have – you've always ran. You never slid. One time you had the Dukes of Hazard slide. That was really awkward. But other than that <laughs> – Almost tore my ACL trying yeah, to do that. But you were, you were pretty solid. So I give you that linebacker um, complex. You can have it. <laughs> No, it's funny, man. It's um, I was posting these videos on Instagram, and uh, bro, I was like, "You still out here power cleaning, man? I've been done with that since the day I graduated." And right. I said, "I'm back at it." So, well, I'm- jumping in that CrossFit mode, it did a little something to me, and it sparked up this uh, this 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 hunger that I have been missing. So Good. today was a heavy front squat uh, day, and. <laughs> Man, my, my hamstrings and my quads are shot right now, so yeah. I probably need to back off for a couple of days. D-Rod. Take it easy. I uh, I spoke at this conference not too long ago in New York last month, and the guy of Juice Press, the CEO, founder of Juice Press, you know, multi-million dollar company, sold just amazing fit. His, his perspective on life and why he started the company was brilliant, but he was saying how working out, he's in his 50s now, but how working out has to remain fun. Like, you know, the, yeah. the mundaneness of – whether it be power cleaning or some things that we shed, you know, that's not always everybody's forte. And he was kind of saying like, you know, you got to continue to challenge yourself and have, you know, fun while you do it. So if that gets you back in the groove, if that puts you in a position of something you haven't been missing, then continue to seek that in any format, whether it's working out or whatever outlet it is. So like, you know, because what we see with a lot of former players is, you know, they either balloon up or lose all their weight. And a lot of it, you know, happens just uh, off the strength of, you know, you not having to do it. You know, yeah. we get so used to being in a routine and on such a, a strict schedule where lifting is required that when you don't have to, you got to find out how to be motivated again. So, yeah. you know, for me, it, it was that. And uh, more than anything, it was the guys that I'm surrounded by. So I felt like I was a part of community again as far as lifting went. Uh, so that was, a, that was a big deal for me getting back in there and really just getting back to the grind because I felt like it was a piece missing out of my life. Um, you know, it, it started with this – uh Slippery slope. I stopped lifting. I started eating. All these different things came into play. And when I got around these guys, man, I just felt like I was a part of team again. And I missed that. Absolutely. That's the camaraderie aspect of sports that people don't understand if they've never been attached to it or, you know, influenced by it from a young age or what have you. I mean, that's what I was chasing after war is, yeah, keeping a promise, but also finding that safety net of, of like-minded people who are fit who want to you know play a game they love you know that that entire atmosphere so dude you got to surround yourself with that energy to get back back in it you know like i people look at me now and they're like damn you played clemson this i'm like blah blah, blah. i'm like yeah man you know you have to have a diet direction when you're done playing like it's not sustainable to i played at 180 you know and if i'm not lifting that much if i'm not competing or putting myself like i got to maintain my frame for my own health and well-being for the longevity of my joints and ligaments so you have to dial back down and reassess where you are um, as an individual what you can take what you're going to be doing physicality wise and take that all into as a rational decision just like anything else you know you only get one body and people I think, forget that so um, you know I, I don't I'm, I'm all for you you know switching up it but also getting back into it and knowing that your sanity and happiness comes from a healthier point of view and mindset you know and as athletes i think that's something that's second nature to us so as jeff davis used to say you know the whole walking crawling wheelchair to crutches to walk i mean that's the metamorphosis of our life and we can't necessarily shed the habits of of what we know our best function um limit is so you know we got to sustain that and keep that and and, and get it every day dude so don't give up on that shit excuse me can i cut on here yeah you know and i wholeheartedly believe that a lot of of who we are and what we are is a direct product of our environment growing up. And, you know, with you growing up in that, that military surrounding, you know, and you're, you're not the biggest guy in stature. So was that something that, that fueled you just knowing that you had that, that that fire and that drive and, and all of these uh, militant minded people around you going forward? Uh, I think to a certain degree, I think I a hundred percent agree with you product of environment. I mean, I was in a cultural melting pot, you know, I think a lot of my friends, parents were, first generation or second generation Americans, the DC area was booming in the, you know, obviously it's a booming industry already, the government as well, but you know, in the eighties and nineties, Reagan areas, it was, it was thriving. So a lot of 
multicultural diversity. I grew, I was fortunate to kind of grow up in a middle-class, you know, suburbia type thing. So I was definitely influenced by hard work, you know, education, um, you know, blue collar type thing. So I think that was definitely um, a part of my infrastructure and kind of my DNA. Uh, That being said, I also, you know, skirted the lines of the militant mentality, my father being ex-militant, but also, you know, playing sports and seeing the inner cities and traveling to different stuff. So when I really take a look back at what drives me, I think it was seeing my parents come from something less fortunate to provide where I was at, you know, kind of having the torch pass me and also seeing being exposed to opportunities in life, seeing the mishaps, like the the poverty, but also exploring and seeing the places of, of um, the impoverished or uh, the, uh, yeah, the, or the, the more fortunate we see. So I think when you're exposed right. to that and you get a mindset of hard work, you know, your parents are working hard, all this, that, and the other education, whatnot, it just makes for a good compound of somebody having a solid career and a good head on their shoulders. And, you know, I was kind of fortunate to be mixed in that melting pot uh, with a good surrounding and infrastructure to, you know, get the mindset, you know, add to the mindset that I have. That makes sense. And, you know, when you finished up high school, was that, was the ultimate goal at that particular time to go play ball in school or what, did you already oh, know man. that if, if it didn't work out here, I was going straight into uh, the army? It's, it was twofold, not necessarily straight into the army, bro. Like, it's funny, like I had this conversation. I was a very big dreamer. I'm still a big dreamer, but back in the day, like I didn't have much action. Like it's one thing to dream, but it's another thing to create action or to actually like a lot of people can put out this entire resolution of what they want to do and then they go back and half ass everything else and they never work to it. And that's kind of what defined me in high school is yeah, I had aspiration. Yes, I wanted to go on and play collegially, but <laughs> what made me go I half assed everything, my report cards my eligibility. So even like the little things, even if I was a stud, even if I was this next, you know, Zion-esque athlete coming out of school, (laughs) like I would have never been able to play because I was a facade on the back end. And I think that's, and that's a true testament of a lot of colors we see in today's society is you don't really get the full spectrum until they really put them under a microscope. And that was me in high school. Like I went through the motion, showed up on time. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Came from a good family, you know, wasn't going to cause any trouble. But at the end of the day, you know, I had our demons in the closet. Nobody was accounting for me, and I was making straight D's. <laughs> like so, like, yeah. you know. But it, <laughs> I still was a respectful kid, and you know. So it, it's right. just kind. Of, it's you know, it's it's funny. I don't know where I was going with that, but you know. Well, you know, and and I spend a lot of time talking with the youth, and I'm sure you do as well. And yeah, we get that a lot. People want maximum output with minimum mm-hmm. input, and you know they, you know, most people look at their life in in these waves of, of time and you know people see these 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 influencers or these these successful people and they they look at it like it must have happened overnight and no, nothing does i mean legitimately it's we're all just a byproduct of those little steps that we take every day and it's an accumulation yeah, it of it is. and it was no different for you like that day you did show up at clemson and you know dry you put together a hype Bro. video you know, and you showed you showed the work that you were putting in, and I had never seen that before at that level. So just for you to take that initiative already told me what type of person nah, you were. Dude, like it was like I mean, a hundred percent. Like you know, I was talking to my sister today, and she goes, and I said something. She goes, "When do you ever do anything little or like half like you know, like you go big?" And you know, like that, bro. I don't I don't let things really stay in the way or get in the way of what I want to do. Like especially after war. Um, you kind of come home with a different perspective or, you know, yes, that is a true statement, different perspective, but one, it's like, can be restrainive or restrictive of how you think because you're, you know, timid or whatnot, or you're whatever, or you're like, I'm an extra overtime. Like I was like, I got some shrapnel in me. I lost a lot of friends. Like I'm trying to do shit with my life. So either I can, you know, make excuses and have my friends die in vain, or I can nut up and go live my life and not worry about other other shit, other factors, other variables. You know, let you know, Sweeney used yeah. to say it all the time, like you know, the unthinkable. Or, oh, it's only you don't think it. If, you know, it's only unthinkable if you don't think it. Or control the uncontrollable. Or do the uncommon right. things in an uncommon way. Like when I got to him, it was just like I was being reassured that everything I was telling myself to get to where I wanted to block out to get there, I was now sitting in a well of a like-minded coach, just like we were saying earlier, of like a like-minded people getting back in that infrastructure that I was going to grow from, that was going to nourish me. And it was like, an ama- and it was amazing. But yeah, I put it all on the freaking line to go live it out because I wasn't going to let somebody or regret, you know, be the person who got the, or got the upper hand in my life. I was just going to go do it. And you know, I think right. it works out a lot better if you just go do what you say, as opposed to 
compare or not know where to start. Sometimes just a movement, you know, a step or whatever progress is what you need to get going. And then you just build confidence. You see what you're made right. of. You get, a sh- you know, uh, you know, people believing in you and stuff. And that was me. I put a video out there. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then somebody sees it. Next thing I know, I'm getting a thousand emails from kids who don't even care about my football, but you know, <laughs> I, I impacted them on going after something. And then you're like, holy heck, like, I'm not alone in this. And then you just keep going for it. You just keep going and going and going and going and going and get there, man. And that's kind of how, you know, I was with Clemson and I mean, still to this day, really, but that's kind of how I got there with that video and ended up making my way to being your teammate. Well, and I had, you know, I had some kids ask me what legacy meant. And, you know, obviously when we were at Clemson, we all had to pick a word for the year. I think my senior year was legacy because I ended up getting it tatted on me. And, you know, as I started to think about this question that this kid was asking me, I was like, legacy is is more about the lives you lead and less about the things you leave. Um, and I look at it because, you know, I, who I am at my core came from, you know, obviously the work that I put in, but the people that I was surrounded by and the influence that they had on me. So it became like this, this trickle effect. And in a way, it's kind of weird, man, but like I, my life wasn't just my life. It was also theirs as well as an accumulation of all these people that poured into me over the years. And I felt like I would be doing them a disservice if I didn't try to maximize who I was and what I was trying to accomplish in life. And I think that's like that for all of us when it's all said and done. So again, just not knowing what that video is going to turn into, knowing that it gave these kids some hope and inspired them for, for, for something that was, that was bigger out there in the future form or something that was greater that they could accomplish. I mean, it's the biggest thing that you could have ever done. And obviously you're still a, a walking testimony to this day. And, you know, we'll get, I kind of want to talk about, you know, your, your time in action, because the battles that, that I've faced are completely different from the battles that you've faced, not only at war, but on a daily basis as well. Um, And it's, you know, it's something else because, you know, I was reading this deal and and one guy was like, "You, you don't know if you're really ready to go to combat until it's actually happening. And, you know, is there some truth to that? Because I mean, obviously, boot camp is one thing, but once you get out there in the line of fire, um, is it completely different? Yeah, I'm gonna say one thing for answer that question. You said something like um, lead and leave or whatnot, but what we do for ourselves, we can't we, we take with us to the grave, and what we do for others stays here. So I think right. that's kind of a really good way of looking at life to kind of add to that. Um, for sure. But look. I, I can't speak for everybody under combat because I know people who have cowered. I know people who fiend off of it. And, um, right. but yes, and I think it's true that, you know, Tyson even had the saying, you don't, everybody has a game plan to get punched in the face. Yeah. You might think, you know, what you're made of <laughs> until a bullet cracks past. So you say, see somebody split open by one, it's a different ball game. And, you know, a product of environment speaking, you know, again to that, as Americans, we were, we've been influenced and made war romanticized from Hollywood to everything else. So it's almost video game esque, you know. So I think we're, we, we've been, you know, almost um, made to believe that we can withstand something that we believe we've experienced, but we've never really experienced it, if that makes sense. Like, like, so yeah. back to war, like, yeah, I'd seen Saving Private Ryan and I thought I knew what war was or what hell was. And then you get overrun <laughs> by former Taliban and you're not thinking of Tom Hanks. You know, I'm thinking of where the hell is my ammunition at? I got to pick these dudes off. Like I got guys coming in, like I'm bleeding out of here. Like it's just a whole different thing, man. And if you can't, if you don't, it comes down to how bad you want to live, right? There's a lot of luck to it. There's a lot of other bullshit to it as well. But I mean, you know, it's kill or be killed. And if you're, if you're going to, Right. If you have the mindset you're going to die regardless, I mean, you know, birth was the death of us, right? So if you kind of just swallow that pill and realize your situation was a volunteered army during a time of war, you know, while we we're sending troops to Afghanistan, well, you're in an outcome that was a probability of might be small, but you're there now. So just just deal with it. And that's kind of how I went. And um, that's always been my mindset with war is I don't think anybody's necessarily made for it. I just think there's a mindset you can switch into it and be like, you know what, I want to live more than I want to die. And I'm not going to let that shit weigh yeah. me down when I get back because I had to do shit to keep living. So that's really <laughs> I mean, <laughs> very it's, raw way of it's so wild, man, because it's such a heavy thing to think <laughs> Bro, about, I mean, you know? Like, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, shit, dog. Like, you know, like you could not be here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's wild. And obviously, you, you did have some of your closest I got, friends that. I, I 
they didn't make it out. And I'm sure that you, you, you take them with you every day and you're rewarded with the purple heart. And, um, you know, that's, I mean, it's just an unbelievable honor. And, you know, when they awarded you with that, uh, how'd you feel? I mean, truthfully, look, I'm 31 now, bro. Truthfully, I mean, when I got it, I was like, damn, I I got a flesh wound. So I was very fortunate. Like I'm not, I did not not get wounded. But I was also involved in the heaviest battle. I had friends that were missing limbs that were getting the same award next to me. So in that moment, I was just like, I'm lucky to be alive. So I really didn't think much of it. I was like, it's not going to bring any of my friends back. Now, I kind of look at it as just, you know, <laughs> it's scary, man. Like, I mean, I'm in, like, people don't realize I'm in, over, I'm in overtime, man. Like, even in my Iraqi deployment, like Afghanistan gets the, the the notoriety recognition because it was the bloodiest battle ever in the war. But homie, I, I was spent 15 right. months in Sadr City in Iraq, which was just as hellacious, if not worse, getting blown up by roadside bombs. So like I've had the mentality of kill or be killed or looking at life differently since I was a teenager, not to mention 9-11 and DC sniper. So I was just brought up and cultivated in, in, <laughs> in our, this hostility of a world. So for me to like not think I was, I don't know, I'm getting deep now, but <laughs> no, no, go ahead, do your like, thing, bro, man. Bro, I mean, I don't know, like, so like experiencing war and coming back from Afghanistan, like, yeah, I survived that shit, but you don't think about the consequences, the repercussions, or the outcomes when you're fighting, bro. When you're pulling triggers at people and people are shooting back, man, it's 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 a slow time, bro. Like your heart's up, like you're very methodical, unless you're in control of the situation. If you're the assailant, if you're the one attacking, like if you're the ambush, that's a different mindset. You're picking off. Right. But if you're being attacked, you got to keep your fucking head on a spoon, man. Like you got to stay pinned down for a while. You got to right. see people die around you. You can't be a damn hero. Like there's some shit that you got to foresee, especially you got air support. Coming. You don't know the situation. So, you know, bodies attract bodies and dead bodies attract more dead bodies. So you really have to be just like coaching or stealth or anything, you know, strategic on how you attack. And, and you know, that all comes into play and instinct and, and a lot of shit, man. So um, everybody's different under fire, but. You know, I was never gonna die without pulling my trigger. Like it was, you know, my my credibility speaks for itself. You can do your research about D Rod. I, I I'll melt barrels. <laughs> and I, and look for you people listening. If you don't know, you did, you need to go check it out because uh, you know I, I remember the first time I, I was looking at videos of my man over here just just letting lead go, and I was just it was mind blowing because I'm seeing it on TV, you know, and I'm, I'm watching movies and I'm like, oh, that's something. And then you meet a person who. Thousand, was was in that and is that and it just takes yeah, it to a yeah. different level no it's a def it's a different level man it's something it's something else for sure well and you finished that and all right so was there a lull period before you like so after that was there a lull period before you started to to look at going to play ball yeah and lull in terms of like my life or just like a break like time. Time. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, bro, here's the crazy thing. Yeah. Like, I hit the ground kind of running. So I, that, that was October. So no shit. What's the October 2nd. So tomorrow is a 10 year anniversary of that bloodiest battle in the war in Afghanistan. So October 3rd, 2009, that took place. I had to finish six months of my deployment. I ended up getting out and then I was enrolled in community college a year later, like going in. So, um, yeah. Wait, what, what'd you ask me again? Um, was there like was there a little period like i finally got to exhale with my life like i had just done like all this combat blah blah got back to my house but what was the shit what was shitty about it was i went back straight to my high school room like where my house my house in high school my dad had died there like four years earlier like everything about it was the same yet everything about me was not the same so i had like this very low moment of depression where i had like four months to go before i could enroll in school and yeah, I had some, I had some pretty low times. I had some pretty, um, just suicidal, I guess would be more or less, but I wasn't like just on verge of it. It was just like, they would creep in. I would just like start thinking like shit or, you know, just feeling my life not going anywhere or this, that, and the other, just like bullshit. You just, these rabbit, these tunnels that, you know, I'm not saying they don't still exist today, but in that timeline of my life, it was just like, I just yeah. went through all this wave. You get called a hero, come back, you know, you, and then you got to wait for school and benefits to kick in and you still got PTSD and shit kicking out your door and everybody expects you to be fine because you have McDonald's and Walmart and shit. And you're like, uh, I can't sleep at night. Um, right. <laughs> everything's not okay here. You know, I got to I got I got some shit I've got to deal with. And, you know, it's just a difficult time. So it took me some time, some help, uh, some restructuring of my life, reassessing of my life. Um, 
kind of re- reflection, understanding that I want or believing in myself that I wanted to play football, do it for a reason, a purpose, you know, maintain a promise. Uh, and there's small steps. And just like we were saying with the workout process or, you know, the, the work ethic in general is you just got to take those steps, keep believing, put your head down. And then you wake up six months later, you're in phenomenal shape and you have an opportunity to make a video that can be in the hands of college coaches. And, you know, sometimes it's just that those baby steps or the, not even baby steps, just the consistent steps, bro. You know, it don't got to be baby gigantic. You just got to be consistent, man. Right. Like that's the way I see it. Well, that's what's fascinating because say you're growing six months, say you're going for a year and you were essentially in this transformative period throughout the course of all of this, this, this whole piece of your journey, that part of it. Mm-hmm. And you go back home and there's people that you knew your entire life who don't actually know you anymore because you're, because we're all different. You know, mm-hmm. the, the steps that, that I took in my life made me different where they're at in their life uh, separates us a little bit. And you're trying to have the same conversation and you're trying to keep this one commonality in mind, but in reality, you don't even know that person anymore. Absolutely, man. Like, I mean, c'est la vie, right? That's life. That's French for that's life. And that's growth. That's the beauty of metamorphosis and um, the ability to grow and adapt and go off, whether it to be school or, or whatnot. You come back a different person and you see the you see your the products of the environment. You see who didn't leave or, or who's doing the same or whatnot. And there's nothing wrong with it, but you assess your own life. It's like, do I want to plug myself in here? and <clears throat> contribute my efforts and life into this community that I know, or is there more out for out there for me? <clears throat> and kind of back to, you know, telling you how I grew up and then experiencing war and going to school. Like, you know, I wasn't going to let anything hold me back. I was ready to take the next ticket out of town. So, um, you know, when I got back and kind of saw that, mm, you know, Northern Virginia is good, but, you know, even if I stay here, it's probably not going to be the best for me. I got to get out and see what else is out there. So I was, I was waiting. I was ready. I was, I didn't own anything. I had a car packed full. I was ready for any school to give me a chance. I would have driven to Hawaii if they told me you got to cross the ocean in a car. I'd be like, yep, I'll figure it out. Let's go. <laughs> well, at, at any, at any point when you got to school, did, did it almost seem like elementary to you because of, of what you've seen because of what you, you've been through and you get all these other people who's complaining about basic shit. Like, oh man, like yeah. I went and had too many drinks and you know, I, I'm tired, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that doesn't hold any weight in comparison to, to everything yeah. that you've seen. Here's like, here's the even bigger picture of it, bro. Life. That's how I view life as more of a, like, not just school, not my job. Like, bro, like I have been a political pawn and have fought on the front lines to come back and take things with stress or, you know, it, it I, I think the American culture is is a laughing stock to some degrees, especially the pressures we put on 18 year old kids who have never experienced anything in their life. And then they're forced into a collegiate atmosphere to follow a career path that they probably don't even want to do, or like 50% of divorces, they're going to end up not doing it or departing from it down the road. So you just, you just see the self. So when I came back from war, I was like, experience it. And I was seeing kids like stress over the most mundane bullshit. And I was like, nobody's shooting at you. Chill the like, like we can do whatever we want, not whatever we want. You know, there's accountability, but like, this is a great life. <laughs> this is a great life. Like, yeah. I don't know what we're stressing about here. So you definitely, definitely, you know, adds to it. But, um, you know, that's just not for school for me. That's everything, man. I try to take everything with just an appreciation and understand the infrastructure and, you know, what society has developed. And, you know, we're just modern day roams, bro. That's all we are. You know, we think we're special and evolved. Yeah. We're, you know, there's still poverty and bullshit going on around us. So to think that, you know, we, we can't keep a positive attitude, I think is, is, is horse crap. And I think that's a beautiful thing about playing for Sweeney and Clemson is always about attitude. It was always yeah. about you can control how you enter the day. So no matter what the atmosphere is around you, as long as your energy is good, you know, that bus John Gordon talks about, as long as all that fancy, like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where you need to be at. So, you know, that, that's kind of, I think the, all of it. So that's how I, you know, yeah, I went to school and I was like, yeah, it's whatever working hard at school, but that's how I try to look at life is we got air in our lungs, yeah. man. Nobody's shooting at me. Things could be worse. Like let's make the most of it. Man. I, every morning I wake up, I, um, I wake up and I close my eyes and I take one big inhale and then I exhale, bro. And and when I exhale, like I feel myself breathing and I hear it and I know that I'm alive. And if I'm alive, well, I got an opportunity. 
And so like the power of positivity, because I, I go through days where that shit seems dark, bro, and it doesn't even feel like I, I know where I'm going anymore. But yet and still, I got an opportunity. And I just, you know, you just walk through life with an attitude of gratitude, uh, especially when you start to put things into mm-hmm. perspective. So it's, um, man, we, you know, we're, we got, we got an awesome opportunity oh, course, every day, man. Like- and so many people feel like they're, they're stuck or they can't get out of it. And you can't now, now granted it's tough to do it by yourself, you know? And, and that's why team was so special to me. Like most people ask me, Hey, do you miss throwing those touchdowns? Do you miss running down the hills? I'm like, no, I miss the locker room. I miss those winning workouts. You know what I'm saying? I miss Coach Batson yelling at us oh, to make those hundreds. And if David Beasley <laughs> didn't make it, you know, we was going to run some more. And we all knew in the, uh, deep down inside that, that yeah. shit, he wasn't going to make it, you know? But those yeah. were special points, man. No, you're right. You're, no, you're right, man. Like, it's a beautiful thing, you know, um, just the evolution of life and, and what we take and what we appreciate, you know, what we value, you know, relationships that we wish we could get back or, you know, don't exist anymore. That's just a constant cycle of the what ifs and and the reflection process. So, you know, as long as you take key instruments from your life lessons previous and make sure that you apply them at the necessary, you know, opportunities or moments, you know, or, or the next Joey Batson's or, you know, what you got from your coaches, you're making sure you're passing that on to the youth that you coach. Like, that's a cycle of life. So right. it's not necessarily missing out on, but it's more or less kind of giving to the next chapter or to the next audience um, that gets to experience the best of you or, or what you have to show or give in life during, during your dash. Right. So, um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things I miss, but I try to not look at it as a depression factor or a state where it, it puts me in a low mind. It's an appreciation factor where it's like, damn, like, you know, I've experienced that. And hopefully the future, the, the next generation, I think, you know, parenthesis why we see so much peep so much like emphasis on the youth and because it makes sense the older you get is they're the ones that that, that have the next right. going on right so they're the next ones that we need to to try to hopefully get uh thinking differently and positively and progressively um and striding for change and, and what they want and and doing things differently hopefully so you know it all goes back into play of how we impact and go about and and where we're at and you know, what we want, again, the locker room mentality. It's because that, those are genuine people who are showing up yeah. to do good, to contribute, to work for a goal. Like, that's society at its finest. A sports team is society. Look at what it can do to a city if it wins a championship. You know, nobody gets along until a sports teams wins. Yeah. And that's the, and if we can trickle out economics, essentially, that vibrancy to our societies, to our youth, to our um, communities, we, we'll see change. We're going to see difference you know that's what i that's the thing i think is beautiful about church is we all have issues before we go into it but yeah. when you're all there celebrating and praising you know you those those are different those are aside you're in that moment there you know with your peer living and you know i think that's a very sport oriented feeling a very locker room oriented feeling you know it's, you can check out the problems the suffocation and kind of dive into something um that liberates you and you feel like you're being part of something more and, and, and that's kind of how i see it mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. I um, <laughs> it is deep, man. It is, and it's it's wild. You say I actually, you know, I like to write poetry, man. I, I think that I'm I'm something in that space, and actually, I'm pretty decent at it. But I, I I found myself asking what the point of life was, and for me, I I was like, you know what, evolution of man is the point, you know, of man and woman, right? And it's it's transformation and it's growth, but the only way that can happen is through shared experience, conversation. Right. And not like just the not like just the bullshit conversation, like, hey, how's your day going? But like true conversation, taking my life experience, sharing it with yours, creating something that 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 is special, and then that conversation leading to another conversation with a different person. And then it becomes this whole trickle effect. Like I think about how how big Joel Osteen is, right? And how many people he led to Jesus Christ. Somebody had to lead him there though, you know. And then he he led somebody else and it becomes this whole thing, man. So I think it's just it's so much bigger than all of us. And yet, you know, we we do run across a lot of people who are selfish, but I think all in all, everybody wants the same thing. People don't want to be forgotten, but the only way to, to not be forgotten is to let yourself live through somebody else as well by sharing who you are. So, man, I, you know, I do, man. I was, I was so grateful to have met you when I did um, because you inspired all of us. You know, we got all these guys who got recruited by 50, 60 different schools. And yet you came in with such a different vantage point of life in itself. And I mean, hell, D-Rod, you was holding yourself <laughs> up on the side of a tree. 
you know, that's how strong your core was, right. you know. I, I had no and, fear, uh, man. It's it's really <laughs> funny, you know, when we were talking earlier, it's like, you know, the older I get, you know, you, you realize the the athletic mindset, the mentality you have to keep, like the Napoleon syndrome of, bro, I didn't think I was, look, I knew the playbook inside and out. I strapped up right next to Coach Scott. I knew I was six injuries away from starting, but he may have made an accident and put me in, right? Like <laughs> I was prepared. I was, I, I was ready to go. So like, man, I don't know. Like when, when I got to the team, dude, like I was, I wanted to compete. Like I knew, like, even though it was a good story and this, and I was different, that my mindset was not on a charitable base whatsoever. I was hungry. I wanted to compete. I knew that I could, in my energy as a person, like I knew I was going to be a likable, I've been likable my entire life. I knew that wasn't going to be a problem, like fitting in and being friends with everybody, but it was just solidifying yourself as, you know, one of the guys, but also you're going to show up to work every day. You're going to take it seriously. And, oh yeah, you can ball, like throw me the pass. I'll catch it. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's football at the end of the day. Right. And I had all those, I had all of that. I knew I possessed it. It was just getting a part of a program that would let me kind of exemplify that. And I couldn't have been, you know, reciprocated, you know, like yeah. you're saying to me coming apart. It was the same. I was around guys like yourself, Sam, dude, I was a walk on and Deandre goes to, uh, Abe, Abe, Abrahimovic and uh, DJ. And he goes, yo, um, I forget somebody had just gotten kicked off the team, like some guy. Um, he's like, yo, uh, can we put D-Rod right here between Sharon and Jerron? And just, just things like that. Like I, I would have should have been in the middle part of the locker room with the walk-ons, but right off the bat, like DeAndre, just like, I mean, he ran, he's ran Clemson since like fourth grade. So, you know, Abe switched my thing right away and I was on the <laughs> other side and I wasn't on scholarship, you know, and thing, just little things like that, bro. Like that makes you feel good. Like you, like you said, you miss that environment. So just, you know, my relationships with you all. Adam, DeAndre, all you guys, like any guys I played with, it was real. And like, I had survived such hellacious atmosphere. Like when I came to play, it was more than just coming to play football or school for me. Like this was another family. This was another outlet. This was another opportunity of life for me. Like you say, to like kind of pass that vibrancy to like, you know, spread, you know, that, that, that energy. So I was showing up, I didn't know they were all going to be first rounders and this, that, and the other. Like I was looking at like, these are my homies that let me crash on their couch (laughs) Or, you know, we're up in D.C., you know, you and Jarvis and a little bit, you know, hit me up. Like That was how I looked. They were just playing basketball. <laughs> so um, it was kind of funny. Right. I had no clue how good Clemson was or anything about them. The first time I ever saw or knew about it, I was watching college football, and you all just beat Auburn in Clemson, and Sweeney was going absolutely apeshit on the field mm. and hooping and hollering and, like, crowds rushing. And I was like, damn, that looks like a dope atmosphere. And then fast forward, like, nine months later, he's – after the season, he's messaging me. And I, as soon as I saw that text from Coach Sweeney, I knew that right. was, there was a connection there because I remember that one moment of seeing his energy on the field. And that's when I knew. like that, And that was like just that little moment, just like that. And then, you know, I get there, and it's a, and it's a true testament. The guys that he recruits, the people that were in that system, the coaches, bro, it, it's it's more. Like I, I, was, I deserve me, Daniel, who I am, was meant to be in that program and contribute to the other genuine, like-minded, winning people um, classful people that, 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 that Clemson has produced in my opinion. Oh my gosh. Biggest. Bro, you're a huge part of that. And <laughs> and what's wild is it's for everybody that's listening right now. Like, I don't want you to think that his, his career ended at Clemson university yeah. because it didn't. And now you want <laughs> to play for, for the Rams. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you know, you was out there on the field with some dogs. So how was that experience? Man? Yeah, was that, that just that like a dream exactly come true for you? True. You know, what Sweeney say too, like, or, not going to let anybody run through my mind with their dirty feet, bro. Like I had my entire life. I'd been playing Monday night football, <laughs> jumping, you know, into my couch for the game winning Barry Sanders esque thing. And, you know, when I got to Clemson, you start knocking off these accomplishments and goals. And just like we were saying, going back to your hometown, you realize, you know, what you've accomplished. There's more to it. You like start seeing the growth in yourself, the belief, the belief, and it dawns on you. Holy shit. Yeah. I might never had playing time on the field, but there's been NFL scouts at every single one of my practices. I put on for the fourth quarter I have put on, I've got 13 catches. I've got one touchdown. Boom. Next thing I know, I get invited to a senior bowl for the, the thing. And I'm, I had a coach when I told them that I was going to miss the senior dinner because I got invited to a senior bowl game. One, I'm not to say I got la- like laughed at. They thought I was joking. They were like, ah, no. And I was like, no, I'm being serious. Like, I'm going to this. Like This is my one shot. The only I'm not going to have an agent. I'm not going to have anything. But I need one chance to have a – solid playing ground with every single NFL coach out there and just do what I have. Like, that's what I need. And they, Clemson was down for it. They ended up getting me coach Sweeney's plane to take me down to Charleston for the thing and fly back for the dinner because it, 
it's, it's shit like that where I was like, I wasn't going to let anybody's <laughs> dirty mind cloud my feet. I didn't care that I wasn't a star. I didn't care that I backed up Sammy and Adam and all these studs, bro. To me, it was like, I have one shot. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm going to go for it. And I went out there, put on, um, had two tryout opportunities, one with the Redskins, one with the Rams. Went to the tryout opportunity, did really well. Had some good looks against Janoris Jenkins, actually. It was, all, it was awesome. Like one of my best routes I've ever run in my life. <laughs> and they ended up signing me. So I made it to the fourth preseason game, got a concussion against Kansas City uh, on a kickoff and got helped off the field. And that ended my that ended my, my, my playing days. <laughs> oh, my God. But I went for it, bro. They'll never oh, say I didn't go for it. No, for sure. For sure. And this in this self-confidence and the self-belief that you've had, like you've continued to, to build on that. Now you're involved in many different avenues right now for and, and I'm gonna let you talk about that, but I mean, D Rod, you got a movie coming out. You know, you say you're recording an EP. Let's let's hear about some of the things uh, that you're doing right now. I got some things, man. So I left Clemson. Uh, a lot of people don't know. I always put this in because my English teacher thinks it's funny. I left Clemson a best selling author. So that kind of that, that, that catapulted or um, created a speaking platform. Uh, and then there was two other best-selling memoirs written about the battle I survived, one called The Outpost, one called Red Platoon. Uh, my books rise, plug, 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 no. Um, but yeah, so The Outpost got made into a movie uh, and I was asked to, brought on, or asked to be like a, like a whatever, like a helping hand or whatever, not like a, I can't remember the thing of the word right now. Um, anyway, I was like, well, who the hell y'all got playing me? And they're like, oh, we haven't cast him yet. I was like, uh, <clears throat> um, elephant, no. So they were like, totally took a chance on me. Ended up playing myself, flew to Bulgaria, filmed for a little over a month and a half. Um, it comes out this year. Sometimes got uh, Caleb Landry Jones, Scott Eastwood, Orlando Blooms in it. Like it's a legit movie, bro. So I've like rewrote the cat, rewrote the script Jeez. for me. So I have a pretty good role in it. Um, it led to some other acting opportunities. I got um, representation now from doing the film. Like it was, it was life changing. So it was super cool to do that. Um, yeah. So I got some other stuff. Like you said, I'm working on an EP. Like uh, I've been doing music pretty much my whole life, but in terms of like actually dialing into it and putting money into recruit or recruiting, recording and um, writing and taking it seriously as, as part of something like I'm actually putting out there the last two months and I have about four or five like legit songs that I've mastered and mixed that'll have on EP. I have two music videos um, coming out. Um, what's really cool is I would even freestyle and rap in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I have like a ton of combat footage with me, like making beats with the Iraqis. And I have one of them dubbed from one of my buddies is a DJ in London. And he dubbed the beat for me. Like it's actually like a very VA clips type beat um, with me freestyling in Iraq. And I have that beat and video footage going into my first music video. So it's like the opening of my music video will be me in my uniform. And it's real footage. Me 10 years ago in Iraq at 19 making a beat. And then the beat comes in and it's on par. It's dubbed from that. So it's like, it's sick. Like I got some really cool creative stuff. Uh, I'll be I'll be writing and featuring and directing all my own films. Um, so yeah. And then business with water we were talking about. So that's kind of the catalyst in terms of... Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. Talk, let's talk about him hydrate a little let's bit. Let's do it. So, what do you want to know about it? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of people who are oh yeah yeah uninformed in that space. So, you know, what what did you uh, learn about so it over the course in, uh, of your time? Look, I, I'm you know working with him hydrate. Is it really a, really helping? You know, these guys. I think there's way more to it than just else. recovery. So, I've been in the hemp space over three years now, and I got in. I was actually in the medical marijuana space when I first moved to California. I invested in some grow operations, took some hits, but I was look like I said, NFL concussions, and I had eight friends now commit suicide with post traumatic stress, the opioid epidemic. I was just like, this is bullshit. I don't believe in pills. I don't believe in all this stuff. Like, I think there's holistic approaches. So I was in that space. CBD came very shortly after. So when I got into hemp and CBD and medical marijuana about three and a half years ago, it was a completely different ballgame. Um, and I was at a celebrity gifting suite at Coachella, and this was three years ago, and I met a company, and I was just starting a CBD company called Head Harmony. It was some tinctures. I was teaming up with a guy, um, and we were doing CBD capsulates and looking for distribution. I was at Coachella to suite, and I met this guy importing organic hemp from Switzerland, extracting it in Colorado, selling and just introducing it that week to the U.S. market. And it was hemp hydrate. And I was like talking to this dude. I was like, whoa, this guy is way ahead of it. 
And the reason he even got into it was because his son had Tourette's uh, diagnosed with Tourette's and he was looking for an alternative. And he ended up meeting a scientist that uh, broke down hemp extract, so CBD, to a molecular level, put into purified drinking water through reverse osmosis, and it was odorless and tasteless. And so he, we locked down the proper, he locked down the property, um, ended up getting the aid for his son. It was life-changing. So he you know, was in the banking and um, gambling industry in Canada, changed his life, went into his full-time venture. I ended up meeting him within like two months into the venture. I was brought on uh, full-time within the last year. So I've been able to see us grow. Um, we're, going, we're listing public uh, this year. So we already have a shell company. We're already being audited. You know, we're doing a simultaneous list on NASDAQ. So I've been able to see it grow in the NFL legality space. You know, I work in Kansas City and Oklahoma with a lot of farmers, um, extraction facilities in California. So I've been in the hemp and CB, the hemp and CBD space heavy, heavy for about two and a half years. So I would say for you, the misinformed or the uneducated is really just be cautious because it's a very diluted um, market right now. There's a ton of snake oils, um, a lot of non-regulations. People are making quick mm-hmm. dollars. They can white label stuff out of Europe and China um, that isn't traceable, that hasn't been tested or anything like that. And what's a testament with my company is we've taken the last two and a half, three years to really work out organic relationships on distribution masses and seeing that this was going to be mainstream. So my product doesn't say CBD and on it anywhere is because, you know, we were available on Amazon over a year and a half ago with a CBD product because we knew that hemp was going to be the key word. CBD is a fad. Like there's three or four different CBD components in the cannabidiol itself. There's CBDH, there's CBD2, and they're all medical benefits. So CBD is just the first word people heard two and a half years ago, and it's a fad right now. So hemp is going to be the lifestyle. It's a brand. Um, that's, that's where it's all derived from. CBD is just a little acronym right now. Yeah, people are just associated with that. They're actually pigeonholing themselves in, in a corporation because, anyway, that's another neither here nor there. Um, but we made we, we went in back and we have distribution <laughs> agreements with Walmart, CVS, uh, Kroger's. We're already our tinctures and roll-ons are already available in Kroger's and CVS nationwide. Um, international, we have a Brazilian. We have a five million uh, our purchase order for hundred excuse me a hundred thousand roll-ons just for Brazil alone, Sweden. So over the last two and a half years, I've been just like on business mode going internationally and working, you know, banking and really learning kind of the ropes of the economics of, of just the infrastructure of the U.S. and on, on different levels and understanding um, just the space and grows and import export businesses, dude. So uh, D-Rod's been busy, man. So that's kind of been an amazing opportunity for me to learn and be a part of a company um, that was revolutionary and, and, you know, ahead of the curve as far as where the markets were going and what the mission and space was, you know, people were calling it weed water three years ago. And now, so that's Sloan owns 2% of my company. So, you know, there's just little things where the market shift and people, you know, it, you know, I was working with white collar guys that, that have never smoked marijuana in their life and two of them own grows and they're on their phones telling me, yeah, I got a bu- Bubba Kush and uh, purple haze going out this month. And it just, you know, it's funny people, the, the markets, it's a green rush. So, you know, people are just kind of getting into it, not knowing. And, and that's kind of what it boils down to for me is just educate yourself. Um, you know, know what you're getting it for, um, you know, understand the properties of it, you know, find the credible products. And, and it's like anything else, you know, everything in GNC is not FDA regulated, not a single fat burner or protein shake or anything. In, in the facility might be FDA regulated, but the shit we put in our body is not FDA regulated. So it's like we have this snub nose to like, oh, we don't put anything. Right. So it's not FDA. Right? FDA is full of shit itself as well, right? It's all a catalyst of money. How do they drive profits? How do they corral all this low-bearing fruit and make sure that these mom and pop stores are eradicated through you know the capitalistic markets of conglomerates? And again, let me get into it another way. But nonetheless, FDA is just holding up a Coke bottle to make sure that one, yeah, it needs to be regulated. I get that, but two, that the pockets are accounted for for the people making, you know, strategic plays, right? Hemp already dipped into cotton in the 1930s. It dipped into steel in the 1940s. It dipped into pharmaceuticals in the 1950s. Like hemp has already, hemp has been around from day one. And, you know, like it was illegal not to grow hemp in 1930 in the U.S. So it's no different. So people are just controlling it until they regulate it. But now it's, now it's, people are educated more. You have an $80 million surplus in the, in the state of Colorado alone, just off the green revenue for the public school systems. You're going to see 44 other states scratching their heads saying, why aren't our schools better? Why aren't our teachers getting paid more? Why do we still have outdated books? Why don't we just legalize this shit? Oh, and hemp's not even a psychoactive? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. It helps kids with epilepsy and Tourette's? Oh, that's a no-brainer. Why is it illegal? And you just educate and you, and you hope that, again, the youth and the stigma has changed and the warp and perception is understood 
And, you know, and then you cultivate a generation that comes and hopefully we lean ourselves off of coins. Hopefully we are looking at life differently and a more holistic approach and, and, and a more eco-sustainable, you know, there's a lot to it. So, you know, don't, don't mind me, Taj. No, nah, well, look, man, you're definitely leaving your mark. And, uh, you know, I, I just, well, I'm going to be president. Dog. I'm not joking. Like I really foresee a political career. So I, I think that a political, um, outlet or Avenue for me around the age of 40, the next decade, I want to pursue the arts here in, in my thirties. Um, but I really believe that I can do, um, great things politically and just leadership wise. Uh, if we haven't already killed ourselves, all of us. So. <laughs> well, look, you know, if you get to that point, man, you know, I'm a rock with you, man. And wherever you need me, I got you. Only so. if you believe in my message, man, I could be a piece of shit by then. And you could be, you know, <laughs> This is very true, bro. We yeah. I don't know where, where that's going to be at that particular space. Exactly. Um, I know you got to get it at dinner. I do appreciate you taking this oh, time, but no, you know how, how can people how can people stay in touch with you? How can they keep up with you? You got a website? You know, yeah, I mean my website. It is what it is. Yeah, I've been off the radar, man. I took my social off. My well, I kept a Twitter, um, but I'm really not active on there. I don't have IG. I don't have Facebook. Um, I'm going to come back on it. I'm going to drop my EP. The people I'm working with, the music videos, they want to make sure I monetize and get everything. So. I think I'm going to be making a social push here again. Uh, just keep eyes out. I'm probably going to, you know, I'm probably going to just leverage all my relationships, man. Like, you know, that's the social networking to a T. Yeah. So, um, so I'll be around. I'm going to make a splash hopefully here in the next two months. Um, but honestly, dude, you know, my Twitter, my website, Daniel, Dream Big Daniel, if you need me, you know, my email is pretty accessible. I'm not a really coveted guy flooded with messages. So I'm pretty easily accessible if anybody wanted to get a hold of me. So, um <laughs> No, nah, man, it's all love, bro. I appreciate you having me on, yeah. on the podcast. Of course. And and obviously you're speaking as well. So Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's, I'll yeah, make yeah. sure I share you got like a booking agency that you work through or Yeah. So I mean, honestly, I'm not exclusive. I have a few agencies that rep me. Um I, w- I won't even say I'm if you want me, just go to my website. because uh, CAA takes like ten percent of my point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> uh yeah, I have I mean, honestly. You know, again, just reach out social wise. CA reps me. Um, I have some other Gersh reps me. Um, so, I mean, it means nothing, dude. It means nothing. You want me, just shoot me an email. We'll make it happen. Like, that's the way I work. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure people know how to get a hold, man. But look, D Rod, I appreciate you so much, man. Continue to inspire the masses. You keep taking those steps every day, brother. Likewise, bro. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely appreciate you.